Good evening, everybody. Welcome to Schools Like Podcast. I'm very excited uh, to be here tonight. We're going to be talking about APA Division 16 because NASP is not the only uh, not the only thing in town. So we're going to inform ourselves today if um, any of you guys are unaware of Division 16. Uh, but first off, my name is Rachel. I'm a school psychologist, and I'm working in the state of Maryland. Rebecca. Hi, everyone. I'm Rebecca. I'm a school psychologist working in the state of Connecticut. I want to remind you guys to please, please participate. Tell us with, about your experiences with professional organizations, workshops, resources that you derive, um, and you can comment right on Facebook, on the School Psych podcast page, on School Psych to Your School Psychologist, on Twitter using the hashtag Psyched Podcast, and of course right in the live chat box, uh, which is next to this YouTube live video if you're watching us live. We're looking forward to hearing from you. And here's Anna. Hi, I'm Anna. I'm a school psych working in New York State. Um, I'm very excited to introduce our guest to you, a licensed psychologist in New York and Virginia, Dr. Leah A. Theodore's most recent academic position is professor and school psychology program coordinator at the College of William & Mary. Throughout her 15-year career, she has provided psychoeducational services in private practice and consulted with public and private schools, hospitals, and behavioral health centers. Since receiving her PhD from the University of Connecticut in 2002, Dr. Theodore edited the Comprehensive Handbook of Evidence-Based Interventions for Children and Adolescents, Springer, published approximately 70 referred articles and chapters, and conducted numerous invited and peer-reviewed presentations at state and national conferences. She was associate editor for School Psychology Quarterly, a top-tier high-impact journal in the field, and currently sits on the editorial board of several national and international journals. Dr. Theodore received the Early Career Alumni Award from the University of Connecticut in 2009, in part due to her ranking of one of the top 20 most productive authors in school psychology. She earned a similar ranking in a second study published in 2016. Her career focus has been on promoting science, practice, and policy surrounding the development of effective and efficient intervention strategies to improve student academic and behavioral functioning. Um, Oh, sorry. Um, Dr. Theodore has been active in Division 16 School Psychology of the American Psychological Association, having co-chaired and chaired the APA Annual Conference Hospitality Suite, co-chaired and chaired the Division's Annual Convention Program, and as a member of the Conversation slash Videotape Series Committee. Dr. Theodore extended her early APA service contributions through nationally elected positions, including Vice President of Division 16 membership, Vice President of Professional Affairs, Division President, Um, and currently as past president sitting on the division's executive committee. Her other meaningful APA contributions include serving as the APA representative to the Public Interest Directorate Network and co-writing the 2012 School Psychology Petition to the Commission for the Recognition of Specialties in Professional Psychology. As an advocate for mental health services and on behalf of the APA, she lobbied legislators for the past Mental Health Parity Act, the Mental Health Reform Act, and Helping Families in Crisis Act. Holy cow, Dr. Theodore, thank you so much. Um, Um, It's my pleasure. I'm so honored that you invited me to be here and participate in this. And I just I'm I'm thrilled and excited to talk about school psychology. Um, So truly, thank you for including me and inviting me. And I'm, I'm happy to be here. So I'm going to be honest that I didn't know about Division 16 before we kind of started this podcast episode. Would you tell us a little bit about APA Division 16? Absolutely. And I'll be honest, I'll, I'll share with you that when I graduated from um, the University of Connecticut in 2002, I remember being at a meeting at APA and somebody had asked me, what's the difference between APA, Division 16, and NASP? And I didn't know the answer at that time. 
Um, but I quickly learned the answer <laughs> to that. And the division, uh, the difference really is that NASP is, I'll start with Division 16, which is part of um, the American Psychological Association. Division 16 focuses primarily on science. Um, their mission is science practice policy. So the emphasis is the research and the science behind the application of psychology. And NASP focuses essentially on the practice and the application of psychological um, theory and practice. Um, and where the emphasis is also on education and with, and with Division 16, it's more on the psychology. So it's really science versus practice. Um, although Division 16 does focus on both, I would say that that would be the, uh, truly the, the, I don't want to say the divide, but that's probably how you would best differentiate between the two divisions. Both very much focused on the best interests, um, needs, best way to help and serve all the children, um, you know, as, as school psychologists. And, and oftentimes we very much work together. That's so interesting, Dr. Theodore. It makes me wonder, this was my sort of uh, bias or assumption before um, speaking to you that uh, APA Division 16 was a professional um, organization that was more um, important or more uh, useful to PhD level, doctorate level school psychologists. Is, is, is that, do you find that true and the, the focus on science and research makes that more favorable to PhD level psychs or do you, um, do you have members or do you look for members that are also at the master's level? I, we definitely look for members at the master's level as well. In fact, there is, if you go on to the Division 16 website, there is a membership application and you can be a member of Division 16 as a professional affiliate. And the dues are $55, so it's, it's not truly expensive. And you have access to, um, so NASP has um, school psychology in review, school psych in review, and Division 16 has um, school psychology quarterly. So we have our, and so we receive a journal, you would receive a journal quarterly, um, a newsletter, the school psychologist, which you would receive three times a year. Um, you can attend and participate in conventions, um, social um, related events, um, vote. You can vote for um, anything that's going on in Division 16. The only thing you wouldn't be able to vote for are the Council of Directors. Um, and you can participate in job, you would be on the listserv, you'd receive job information um, as well. So there are a lot of benefits and I, and I really, and, and, and this is my own personal opinion, I think it's great to be collaborative because whenever we're, you know, even in practice, I think I always go back to the journals to say, well, what did it say? You know, if you're looking at something, an issue, a topic, a disorder, or any academic issue, you might want to say, well, what, what's recent and what's going on? So I think we naturally turn to, well, what does the most recent research say? So I think it's applicable. I think you need both. And I'm very much an advocate of bridging research to practice. And I think there is a gap between the two. And I think it's important that we, that we bridge that divide. So, you know, when you're in graduate school, I think we can all agree that you learn the theory um, and the hope is that you learn the practice, but what when we get into the real world, um, it's completely different than 
what we've learned. So you really have to learn how to navigate best practice and make sure that you're doing things in an appropriate way. That's sometimes often very hard to do. So I think it's great to have all school sites work together. <laughs> Sorry. Absolutely. We had a poll on um, our Facebook page, just getting people's um, perceptions on um, why or why they're not involved in professional organizations like NASP and APA. Um, interesting. Interestingly, um, we had 33 votes for people um, saying that the cost of membership was a barrier um, oh, okay. for being involved in professional organizations, and NASP is more expensive than APA, which I didn't realize. Um, then the second, the tie number one vote was um, people are members of NASP only, 33 votes for that one. And then scrolling way down, we had three people who said they were a member of the APA Division 16. So I think um, there's a lot of people who are not as involved in it. Um, well. Please spread the word because um, it's only $55 and there are so many benefits to membership and I just think it'd be great to have so many more folks who advocate and who have an interest in promoting the best interest of, of children, being on the cutting edge of what's going on and, and you know, espousing that information in various venues. Um, I, I think working together, I think we can accomplish those, those aspects and best helping children achieve their very best. Yeah, wow, we just had a comment from a viewer uh, who said that Division 16 affiliate membership was free this year for a first year applicant. Do you mm -hmm. know if that is still the case? Um, I am not 100% sure I'd have to go back and double okay. check, so I don't wanna say that, but I will go back and double check and get back to you. Sure, okay, that, <laughs> yeah, it's really less expensive than, than I thought it would be, and it, Sounding uh, like a good idea. <laughs> it is. And, and I'm just, so, go ahead. Sorry. You know, I just wanted to jump back to, I know talking just about the mystique about APA, and I'll just give you a brief narrative capsule summary, but um, APA has, you know, the overarching APA has an APA president, um, an APA board of directors, and then an APA council of directors. And then below that, I would say there are 54 divisions with division 16 being one of those divisions. And Division 16 is broken down into having a president-elect, um, a president, a past president. We have six vice presidents, a uh, treasurer, a secretary, and three council of directors. And I would, and it's interesting because I view our council of directors, NASP has their state delegates where they, I think it's two, two folks from each state represent and, and go to um, the NASP de delegate assembly. Whereas in APA, our council of directors represent each division within, so it's similar within the broader context of APA and the interests of, of that division. Just so I don't know if that helps. Yeah. Very cool. I'm wondering about um, conferences then too. Is there in a Division 16 conference and how does that compare? I think most of us have been um, to NASP. So Mm -hmm. what, tell us a little bit about what Division 16 does as far as PD and conferences and things. Absolutely. So every year, um, uh, APA, I was going to say NASP, APA has an annual conference. It's usually the first week in August, and it's always, you know, just like NASP, it's always rotated around. And there are so many activities that go on. We have, so, we have a lot of poster sessions and symposia. We have um, social hours, which I really like. Um, because Division 16 then gets to meet with other child advocacy groups, you know, um, where we can collaborate and talk about, you know, so you're Division 37 and you're 
working with children and your child clinical and let's meet and let's talk and it's a great way to network and talk about what other folks are doing and how folks are doing different things and how they're getting um, you know meeting the needs of different children um, if you wanted to participate um, generally by December you need to submit your proposal for either a poster or for a symposium um, but it's very similar to NASP, um, but except that it's in the first week of um, August and it's the annual convention. And we have a business meeting, um, we have award ceremonies. Um, and actually, if I can go off on a tangent, I don't know if you have a question about awards, but I'd, I'd love to share that one of the things that Division 16 is very focused on identifying the achievements and accomplishments of folks in our field. And that includes everybody. So it's not just um, not just you know the folks who are in the field and have been in the field for a long time. We have student um, research awards. Um, we have a diversity award, and we have a Paul Henkin Travel Award um, for students who are traveling to the convention. We have early career psychologist awards. Um, so we have awards that focus focus on that. So the Leitner Whitmer Award would be one. We also have um, mid-career awards. We just instituted that. So we have the Tom Oakland Mid-Career Award and that focuses on research and scholarship. So mid-career would be anywhere between 10 and, um, don't quote me, I wanna say anywhere between 10 and 20 years of being in the field, so you're kind of mid-career. But we also have another mid-career award which, which focuses on practice. And so we very much are looking for folks who are doing great things in the field um, that are innovative and that are making changes as well. And then we have our Senior Scientist Award and um, looking at individuals who you know, over their lifetime achieved significant accomplishments within our field. So folks like um, Dr. Bruce Brockin has received that award, Cecil, Dr. Cecil Reynolds, um, Dr. Patty Harrison. So some of those folks have been, I mean, there's, a, there's myriad folks who've achieved that. Um, but we do have a lot of awards, and we do like to recognize um, accomplishment. I, I, I think that's important. Yeah, I agree. Are there, um, do you take nominations? How do you get, how, how do people, how do you find out about people, especially in the uh, early career division? <laughs> that is a great question. In fact, we have, um, one of the things that I'm very, having served as president and now um, past president, I'll actually be in the past president position for the past, for two years, um, just to, um, to, to work on some, some additional issues. Um, we have, um, I'm very interested in early career psychologists and, and student um, affiliates to school psychology, so we have SASP. And they are also on our board. Um, so we have a president um, who comes to our midwinter meetings, which we have in January, and our annual convention. And I think that they are the wave of the future. And so I'm very interested in, you know, helping helping them achieve their goals and helping them become more actively involved. And you can become more actively involved if you actually go on the Division 16 website. Um, you can there's a link that says, you know, how can I participate? But if you're looking to nominate, um, it's this, um, you can contact either the president, who's um, Dr. Kathy Fiorello, or you could contact myself, or um, you can contact um, the vice president her, her, um, for 
um, I just want to make sure I get this correct. Edu um, Science Education Training um, Affairs. It's VPETSA. Um, and she would be the one who would be directly responsible for all of the nominations that go through. But if you sent them to the president or past president, um, we would make sure that they went on. Um, but the vice president of education training and scientific affairs is the individual who um, essentially gathers that information and, and, and develops a committee for all those folks and, and, and then moves forward with that. That's really cool. Um, can you tell us a little bit about your work uh, in schools or how you, I, I know sometimes you put out um, uh, PDFs and, and resources to support school psychologists working in schools. What kinds of things do you participate in that are resources for schools and school psychologists? Well, I would say, and I'm not sure if I'm going to answer your question, um, so please tell me if I don't answer your question. So uh, personally, I like to be in the schools um, because if once you're in academia, you don't want to lose touch. And so I've always had a private practice. I've um, been consulting with the state Supreme Court um, in the state of Virginia, um, private practice. You don't want to lose your skills, but you also want to be in the schools because that's where you're going to find out what exactly is going on. To me, um, I'm finding that social emotional issues seem to be um, such as bullying, um, crisis prevention and intervention, um, those things are starting to become more of an issue. And, and I think back to, you know, school psychology originally started as this very simple test in place. Although I say that and I know a lot of folks are still doing a lot of testing and placing. But I think we've moved from that and we, we now have, um, we're more mature in our field. So we've got evidence-based intervention, RTI, also known as FTSS. We've got, um, we've got neuropsych, we've got cultural and linguistic diversity, um, executive functioning, bullying, crisis intervention and prevention. And so I think in order to be current and in order to make sure that the field moves forward in, in an appropriate manner, I think working in the field, you have to be current in what is going on. I don't know if I answered your question to your satisfaction. Oh, it did, yeah. I, that's what I was thinking about. Um, one of the topics in our poll was that, uh, you know, lately especially, I think, NASP does a really good job of reaching us and um, providing kind of things that we could pull as members and bring into our schools. And so, so some of those, all of those topics that you mentioned are so relevant to our everyday work that it's nice to know that there's another resource out there um, to help us with just the everyday practice. And I will say, if you go to our website, there is a whole section of resources that are available to you. Um, and you can just click on it and it's right there at your fingertips. Do you have to be uh, a member to get the resources, or are they for anyone? Nope, they're for anybody. <laughs> they are for anybody. <laughs> Very cool. Backtracking a little bit, I have a question about the conference. Um, sure. When you were talking about that, so is it the APA conference as a whole, and then there, you kind of um, people kind of go off and, and have their own little sections too, or is it a Division 16 conference that you're talking about specifically? So the APA conference is for everyone, so all 54 divisions. However, we have our own agenda, and we always send it out in advance. 
so we have a hospitality suite um, as well, and so we like to host events in the hospitality suite. Um, and there, and it, depending on what it is, we have um, the school psychology leadership roundtable. And I'm not sure if you're familiar with that, but that's where every division within school psychology meets. So we've got the leaders from NASP, CDSPP, ISPA, um, Division 16, ABAP, and everyone kind of comes together and talks about the issues that are going on in the field and how, how we can address them collaboratively because even though we're all representing different divisions, our goal is the same. Our goal is to um, help, and I, you know, our goal is to make sure that children are receiving the services that they need um, that are current to the time in an appropriate manner. And so we work collaboratively. So, um, so even though that you can go to see anything that's going on in, in, any 50, in any of the 54 divisions, Division 16 does have its own agenda and own poster sessions, their own symposia, their own social hour, their own um, meetings in the hospitality suite, which you can attend, yeah. um, which is really nice. And, and we have our own business meeting and award ceremony. I have to say that last year, um, for the first time, I found your Facebook page, Division Six has a Facebook page, and you had live, uh, I guess it was Facebook Live, or I'm not sure, but it was videos from your poster sessions, and I mm -hmm. shared them on School Psych, your school psychologist, and I found them just wonderful. It was great to see what people were doing, and uh, you know, people out there um, presenting. It was really nice. I hope you do that again for those of us who oh, make I don't know. I'm I'm somebody, and I don't know. I get this sense from you all too. I I'm very collaborative, and I like to see what other people are doing. And going to conferences is such a great way to network and meet other people and hear what other people are doing and getting different ideas. And I just think it's whether you're attending NASP or Division or APA. Um, I just think it's great to connect with colleagues, um, no matter where they are. Definitely. We all definitely feel that way as well. And one of the reasons that we do this podcast is that very reason. Um, I def I wanted to mention and, and ask you a little bit about the grant program for school psychology internships. Um, mm -hmm. Can you tell us a little bit more about that? It sounds fascinating. Absolutely. So essentially what has happened is that there are more psychologists graduating than APA internship sites. So APA has deemed this um, internship crisis. And so essentially, um, we need to increase the number of APA accredited internship sites. And so school psychology, in order to be competitive, has developed, it's the GPSPI, it's the Graduate Program and um, School Psychology Internship. And it's a new program that provides um, incentives to internship sites that are not currently APA approved. Um, so we are trying to grow more internship sites that are APA accredited so that um, school psychologists can be just as competitive um, in the field as with other folks. And so even just thinking back to, you know, we, you know, when I said going back to test in place, you know, early on in the inception of school psychology, now we work in so many places. We're in, you know, public schools, private schools, juvenile detention centers. Um, hospitals, community centers, clinics, private practice, colleges, universities, publishing houses, and so um, even legislature. So I, I think it's important for, and school psychology feels that it's important for us to start increasing our sites so we're just as competitive. 
Well, um, I also really wanted to ask you about uh, a very interesting thing that we had in our um, in our conversation before the podcast uh, that you told us a little bit about your journey and your fight for mental health parity. And I think it's such a, it's such a great example, first of all, of leadership for school psychologists. So hopefully, can inspire some other people on what kinds of things we can really do if we put our minds to it. But can you tell us? Uh, about that and how it started, how it went? I would love to. Um, that's actually very near and dear to my heart. So when I was living in New York, I was a professor and I also was um, in private practice. And what I found was a lot of families would bring their children to see me or somebody else in the practice. I was in a group practice and they had health insurance, but their health insurance did not cover um, mental health or behavioral health. And so there were families who desperately needed services but couldn't afford them, thought they had them because they had insurance. And so I, right about that time, I learned about um, the Mental Health Parity Act. And so I went and lobbied on Capitol Hill for the passage of the Mental Health Parity Act, which stated that um, all insurance companies would cover <laughs> mental health, behavioral health, and substance abuse. Um, and I lobbied for that very strongly just because I, I personally, as a, as a psychologist, a school psychologist, feel that any child who needs to have services that go beyond what the school can do, and if the family has insurance, they should be able to receive those services. And it made me sad because right about that time, that's when the economy started to decline. And so there were families that would say to me, well, my spouse lost their job, and so we are no longer going to have health insurance and we will no longer be able to see you. And to me, I, I don't think there's anything more heartbreaking than knowing that there's a child and a family that needs help and they can't afford your services. So I've lobbied very strongly for that and it passed and went into law in October of 2010. Now I'm just gonna jump slightly ahead and share with you um, the fact that you know, have, we're now in this new presidency and they have now looked at the Affordable Care Act. And I'm sorry, I'm just gonna pull up some notes that I wrote down so I would make sure I would have this um, accurate. But so now we're looking at the Affordable um, Health, uh, I'm sorry, the American Health Care Act. And what they're looking to do is um, not include, they're pulling um, everything that we fought so desperately to achieve, which is, um, treatment for substance abuse disorders, um, mental and behavioral health. They're looking to take that away. They're also looking to cut Medicaid spending by $880 billion over the next 10 years um, and remove coverage from 14 million beneficiaries by 2026. And my concern is that that's going to trickle down, obviously, to insurance companies. Um, and the cost of that is going to be hugely detrimental because if you've got somebody, you know, I think you probably all know substance abuse is a huge issue among children, particularly heroin and lots of other different drugs now, um, and hepatitis C um, goes along with drug use and goes along with clean, with clean needles. So there's a spin-off effect of not being able to treat appropriately individuals who've got substance abuse and mental health. So I feel like we're moving backwards. You know, we've made all these gains and in, in having individuals with insurance receive mental and behavioral health and substance 
and now that's looking to be pulled. The other concern I have is that they're looking to pull or reduce um, all um, medical and psychological research. And so we are going to be stymied um, in moving forward um, in addressing lots of issues. So um, that's a concern, I, I have to say, that is very near and dear to my heart. And I will continue to lobby and go to Washington, D.C. to make sure that um, I advocate on behalf of children and families, make sure that they receive the services that they need. And, and it, uh, you know, this is just a personal commentary that it does concern me that we're going backwards. Um, we made so much progress. It took a, a couple of years to, to achieve the Mental Health Parity Act, and, and we might be sliding backwards. Mm -hmm. Yeah, I remember the day, I have to share it, when um, Mental Health Parity passed, and my, I was in graduate school, and my professor came in, and he read this two-sentence blurb in the paper, but he was so um, moved and yeah. just kind of mind-blown. And, you know, as graduate students, we may not have even recognized yet what a big deal that was, but so just... You know, thank you from all of us. That's really awesome. And so, what can we do um, as school psychologists to help you in these new efforts? To, are, do you have? Um, uh, are you? Is your? Do you have a resource online for you know petitioning or lobbying um, our local congressmen and women? Is there anything? That's a great question. At the moment, we don't because I think we're waiting to see how this is going to play out and if it's going to pass. If it passes, we're um, it, it's not going to be good, and and we will have a grassroots effort again to go back and lobby um, to to get this back. And I will definitely keep you informed because I think that's so important. I think that a lot of us in in the field are. I think there's a level of nervousness kind of around us with just the political climate and some of the changes and the new secretary of education. And there's a lot of strong feelings about a lot of this stuff. So um, I think it is important that school psychologists speak up and, and write letters and be informed and be involved and don't just take a back seat, you know, so. I agree. And I think, you know, People who know me would tell you um, I will advocate for anything that I, I personally believe in, and I think it's interesting. I went into, into you know working with children because I strongly believe in advocating for those who don't have a voice, and so children don't have a voice, and so I would do anything within my power to to give a voice for those folks who don't have one. Um, so, yeah. That's so powerful and resonates, I'm sure, with all with all of us and our viewers out there as well. Mm -hmm. um, speaking of viewers, we do have a wonderful viewer question, and our friend Eric is wondering if you could differentiate a little between Division 15 um, and 16, educational psychology and school psychology. He's wondering if that difference is between theory and practice. That is an interesting because I know that some people call themselves educational psychologists rather than call themselves school psychologists. Do you know about that difference? You know, it's interesting because educational psychology, so where I went to the University of Connecticut where I received my doctorate, and it was an umbrella. So the de my degree is educational psychology, but I specialized in school psychology. And there were other strands where you could specialize in as well, so curriculum and instruction. 
but educational psychology focuses more on measurement and statistics and um, related to, to education as opposed to school psychology, which really focuses right on the hallmark um, you know, assessment, consultation, intervention. So theirs is more um, statistically oriented as opposed to um, practice oriented. Okay, that makes sense. Interesting. Yes, with four graduate higher, with four higher education statistical courses. <laughs> I don't want to do that again. <laughs> I had his off to the educational psychologists. <laughs> Um, I'm uh, recalling, I want to say I had been working for a couple of years at this point when, um, this is kind of a, another tangent here, um, when the, the Model Licensure Act, when APA, when there was discussion about, you know, specialist level school psychologists um, and whether or not we can use the term psychologist, even when we're saying, you know, I'm a school psychologist, that APA perhaps wanted to um, take that out and make the term psychologist only for doctoral level, you know, licensed APA psychologists. And there was a letter writing campaign that I remember um, being involved in and eventually it did not pass or it fizzled away in some manner and I'm not really sure what really became of that. Um, could you tell us a little bit about that and, and where Division 16 stood? <laughs> Absolutely. In fact, um, I was in the middle of um, MLA because at that time, it was about 2007 to 2009. I was the vice president for professional affairs. So that came directly within my purview. And so Division 16 very much worked very collaboratively with NASP on that because we did not feel that um, the exemption, um, we believe the exemption should remain as is. And I think one of the things that we tried to work and, and worked very hard um, in explaining to APA proper was that school psychologists are not um, master's level folks. We are masters plus, um, you know, EDS. So we're in between a master's and a PhD if you don't have if you don't have a doctoral degree already. Um, and so that was a very difficult and long, arduous um, time. And we eventually um, succeeded in having that exemption um, remain, but that is going to come back in 10 years. Uh, but I will say at this point, what I find interesting is APA proper is now looking to be more inclusive of master's level psychologists. So I think they're starting to realize that, you know, for example, industrial organizational psychologists would benefit them greatly. And most of those folks um, have master's degree. They don't have a doctoral degree. So I will say that NASP and APA Division 16 worked very closely together during that time. And it was a very difficult time. But we, we were very successful. That's awesome. For now, it's coming back. <laughs> Let us know. We're behind you. <laughs> <laughs> Thank you. <laughs> Um, Lee, I wanted to ask you also about, I always get this question from either graduate students or early career folks who are thinking about going back to graduate school, and maybe this will be just kind of your personal opinion and, and not an official APA opinion, but um, what do you think about the different uh, doctoral programs? Is there, um, 
is are there ways to decide whether you want to get your PhD in child clinical in school psychology and educational psychology or a PsyD or a counseling psychology degree how do you if you're if you're a master's level school psychologist and you love your work and you just want to learn more how do you begin to make besides proximity of the program <laughs> How do, you, how do you begin to um, tease out the differences and, and know which direction to go in? That's a great question. Um, I would say that it depends on what your end goal is or what you ultimately would like to do. So for folks who are practicing school psychologists and who really just want to continue their education and get their doctoral degree, um, the PsyD is really the practitioner-oriented degree. And that would be something that they would strongly want to consider. If they wanted to do any sort of university teaching or adjunct work, then I would say the PhD is, is the way to go. Um, it's interesting because when I interview graduate students, one of the questions I do always ask is, why, why school psychology? What is it about school psychology that's appealing to you? And I'm always looking for the answer that it's, it's the amalgamation of education and mental health. And we are very unique that way because we are the only folks who, do, who work with children who have expertise in um, academic and in mental health and, and diagnosing and treating those, both of those issues. So if somebody were interested in just counseling or just working with you know, mental health and not dealing with, um, I say the whole child and by that I mean academic and, and mental health. Um, so if they were looking to be more myopic in their scope of practice, then they should consider that. So if it was really, I want to work with an inpatient population, I'm not very interested in, you know, I want to work with children with, yeah, or, you know, more, you know, more severe disorders, um, then that might be the way to go. If they're looking at counseling, um, and that's all they want to do. They don't want to work with, you know, again, both the academic and the mental health piece. Um, I just kind of like to talk through what their goals are and what their end game is and what their interests are. And then once they know that, then it's a matter of, okay, well, where do you see yourself? Um, what do you see yourself doing with your degree? Do you want to just practice because you can be in private practice with your PsyD, um, but you can also be in private practice with your PhD. The only thing I think that the PhD, um, and this is going to be my, my personal opinion, I think if you're looking to go into university teaching at any point, um, then that would be the one discernible factor that would, I would say, well then if, you're, if that might be something you're considering, then you may want to consider the PhD. And if you're interested in, in doing any research, because the real differentiation between the PhD and the PsyD is the PsyD is the practitioner-oriented degree, and the PhD is the research-level degree. That's awesome. Does, yeah, just, open one. Yeah. No, I agree. And But I, I think that sometimes also what I find just in, in my local northeastern area is that um, PhD programs are almost always full-time so that you cannot keep your day job and still um, – and still uh, be in a PhD program, but sometimes in some places, PsyD programs could, can you can participate uh, part time. And I, I wonder why psychology is a field where 
where that's the case. Because I also hear, and this is just um, hearsay, <laughs> that, uh, that there's not a, a huge pay difference if you're working in a school. So yeah. if, you, if you love your job and you're working in a school and you're at the master's level, getting your PhD is going to cost you a lot of time and money and effort and may right. not necessarily uh, give back in that same, in that same degree. Um, so I don't know. These are all, these are all challenges I think of the field. If we want people to be drawn to programs because they just want to learn as much as they can and be their best, I think that we have to get a little bit more open-minded about, uh, maybe even online training or part, part-time, you know, or using your day job as your, at least as your practicum site. But that's right. In fact, <laughs> well, I agree with you that sometimes it isn't worth the differential in pay that you would be getting and the amount of loans that you'd have to pay back um, in, in, in moving forward with a doctoral degree. But there are numerous doctoral programs that are exclusively, where their courses are exclusively in the evening so that you could work all day and then you've got classes that start at 4.30 and, you know, 4.36, you know, um, and, and go later. And then I agree with you, there's the distance learning. And I think that's becoming more, more, I think it's to gain momentum because now they're starting to credit um, these these distance learning programs. So I'm curious to see where that will go. Um, but that's a great question, and it's very true. <laughs> um, I like what you said before about how um, we're kind of the combination. We've got the, the background in education and, and also mental health, and I, I really see the disconnect sometimes like when we get outside reports coming in from you know clinical psych or some other um you know um subdivision of psychology where they're doing reports and they're they're not collaborating with the school they just they don't have they don't i'm not sure if they don't think of it or it's just too much work sometimes to involve teachers and and consult with the school psychologists and do all that but i think it's so important that that people you know, com that combination is really strong and powerful. I agree. And sometimes, and I don't know about your experience, but I've read a lot of outside reports where I was very disappointed in what I read because it, it didn't really give me, there was no substance to it. And I think just being in the community where you live, you get to know who does what. And I think there are a lot of folks who are in private practice whose expertise is in clinical psychology and working with adults, and they downward extend their knowledge to children, which, you know, you can't do. Children are a very different breed. And so I often read these reports and I think to myself, they don't know the first thing about how to, how to administer or what to administer, nor even interpret. And so even the recommendations that, you know, sometimes I see or I think, well, I've got to start from scratch here because this isn't, this isn't ideal or this will not, you know, it's too generic. Um, so that's what I see. I see a lot of downward extending of um, adult. I adult see, I see too where they, um, they'll test the kid for like, the parent will come in and say, yeah, they tested them for like five hours straight. And I'm sitting there. Yes, <laughs> if somebody tested me for five hours straight, I'm sure by the end, probably after two hours, I can just say whatever. <laughs> It's too much. It's too much. Yeah. More reason for collaboration and connection and communication. Exactly. And especially when you're looking at things, at disorders like ADHD or 
um, you know, where you have to see the presence of, of, you know, symptoms in two different settings. So how can you diagnose um, a disorder when you clearly don't have evidence of it in another setting? So, um, yeah, I agree with you 150%. So um, do we have any final comments or questions? Um, Dr. Theodore, did we touch on everything you wanted to share with us? Um, I think so. I've, I've, I've got my notes around me, and I just wanted to make sure. Um, I, there was one thing, um, and we had spoken about this earlier, but I, the, one of the things that we had discussed was how can you become a volunteer or yeah. how can you get more involved with Division 16? And if you go to the Division 16 website there is actually a place that says volunteer and there's a form that you actually fill out and they ask you you know just a, a bunch of questions about you and then they ask you you know what kinds of things would you like to uh, or where do you where are your interests and where would you like to volunteer and so we welcome um, everyone to to collaborate and volunteer um, I would have to say one of the things that I really like about working with division 16 is that it's it's a small collaborative group um, and everybody's very supportive. We all have the same goals. We're all you know, child advocates, just like NASP um, and CDSPP and you know, all the other child divisions. Um, and I, I just feel very grateful. Um, you know, I feel like I just kind of fell into Division 16, just kind of a year after graduating. I started out as the hospitality suite chair and I really enjoyed it. I really enjoyed meeting the people that I did and working with people that I had the opportunity to work with and meeting the people that I read about in graduate school and oftentimes asking them for their autograph. <laughs> um, I did then, it myself. <laughs> yeah, I know. They weren't around back then. <laughs> but I would have if they were around. Um, but yeah, And so I I just became so interested in, and I just kind of, moved up the ranks and have been very, very grateful for the opportunities that I've had in my career and just and tr feel truly fortunate. And so um, wherever and, and whenever and whomever I can help, it's always my greatest pleasure to do so. I had, um, I've had great advisors, um, supervisors and mentors and I don't think there's any greater gift than having somebody that you can turn to at any time um, with any question, no matter how silly it might be, and have them guide you in, in the right direction. And I've been very fortunate with that, and um, I like to pay that forward. It's been such an honor to have you here tonight. Oh, okay. So happy to know you mm -hmm. and uh, you. have your contact information. And I think that other people can reach you through Division 16, right? If they absolutely information. <laughs> so log online and check out check out their website and uh, send them send Leah a line um, if you have any other thoughts we can continue this conversation um, online on the Facebook pages and on Twitter and uh, thank you so much for spending your time with us tonight we learned so much and I'm so excited to, to learn more and I so excited that the membership is so affordable it is and I just want to thank you truly I'm so um, honored and and humble that you would consider contacting me and to participate in this event. And so I just wanted to thank you for all of your time um, and for giving me the opportunity to talk a little bit about Division 16. I, I sincerely appreciate that.
Thank you. Thank you. What an awesome, uh, very informative. Um, so as we're saying goodbye, I want to remind people, I think that um, our next podcast is going to be on 4-2, and it looks like we're talking selective mutism. So I think that'll be a good one as well. So good night, everybody. Good night. <laughs> Thank you. Thank you.